I'm Jacob Stevenson. And I'm Josh Way. Welcome to our podcast here at Shutterspeed Media. This is a podcast for people interested in video and photo production in the automotive industry. Our goal is to share, educate, and, ent- and entertain you guys with stories, experiences, and content that we create, plus bring on guests to share their experiences in this field. On today's episode, we've got Zach Nelson, CEO and co-founder of Motocrane, as well as Justin Squire, who is the CTO of the company. Uh, We're excited to dive deep into this product and the ways it's revolutionized and bridged what was an otherwise unbridged gap in the filmmaking industry. It's safe to say that Motocrane has made the use of a Russian arm feasible for all projects without needing an astronomical budget. Um, this is going to be a good one, so buckle in. We're going to be talking all things production for rig cars. Yep. So let's start with introductions. Zach, why don't you tell us who you are and, and how this became? Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm Zach Nelson, and uh, Motocrane really uh, grew out of uh, a, a really simple need to close a gap in the production industry. Um, you know, you guys are you know, kind of a prime example of how um, content has evolved and has been evolving over the last like 10 years where there's been a need for uh, just such a higher frequency of production companies and brands just producing content. And so if you don't have a sustainable tool to to satisfy that need, um, then production is really restrained. And so mm-hmm. um, as most people are probably familiar, if you know Motocrane, uh, we make uh, universal remote arms. And the whole company was founded on creating a solution that was as versatile as uh, our customers were in this growing market of creating content and needing to produce really dynamic stuff. So um, you know, we, we, we started the company in my parents' garage. and. Um, just like Steve Jobs. Just, just like Steve Jobs and uh, a couple other cool guys. And um, we spent four years building prototypes until we launched the company in 2017 and have been just uh, releasing new stuff and innovating kind of at a really exciting rate um, to where we are today. What, what awesome. were you doing before your idea for Motocrane to get those shots that you talk of? Yeah, it's a great question. So I went to film school here in Minneapolis um, at MCAD uh, with an emphasis on directing and cinematography. Okay. Um, I've been a car guy my whole life. Yeah, and totally. um, and when I graduated, I was if I was going to live in Minneapolis, where we're primarily a, kind of a commercially driven production industry here locally, yeah. um, there's not a lot of narrative filmmaking that comes through here like it does in New York and LA. And so I knew that if I wanted to live here and work here, um, I would have to get into you know commercial filmmaking essentially. Right, right. Um, so I was like, well, I'd really love to get into shooting cars. I'd love you know Carmichael Lynch, um, a big advertising agency here. You know they've they did Porsche for a long time. They do Subaru now. I think mm-hmm. um, Fallon did Cadillac for a long time. Um, so I was like, okay, great. You know I'm in this I'm in this city that I love uh, with these agencies that are producing great content. I want to yeah. get into that yeah. and. Um, very, again, very quickly realized that like, there wasn't really a tool that I could, as an owner operator, use to satisfy the needs of those projects. Mm-hmm. So, um, so before, you know, but before I was like everyone else hanging out the back of a pickup truck or a minivan and <laughs> yep. holding movies, holding gimbals. And in fact, we, uh, we, we uh, founded Motocrane in 2013, which is the same year that the, the original movie was announced. Oh, really? So we kind of had the, we had the luxury of seeing how Freefly Systems, who's kind of been a, a partner with us, um, doing kind of a similar thing, which um, before movies, there really wasn't 
accessible three axis brushless stabilization technology. Yeah. And so they kind of created, you know, a handheld solution, which is, you know, of course, like been completely commoditized and you can, you know, find iPhone stabilizers and stuff. So we kind right, of had the luxury right. of seeing the industry respond to them um, with their own unique innovation and kind of seeing the trajectory of, um, you know, stabilized heads and brushless gimbals and kind of how that would be a partner um, or how we would need to partner with companies like that and understand how customers were going to be using that piece of technology um, to kind of satisfy the need of like smooth, stable shots out of a car. Right. Justin, why don't you give us a, a quick background of who you are, where you came from, and how you ended up here at uh, Motocrane, and what you do here. Sure, yeah, I would say that I've had a bit of a circuitous route to get to where I am today here at Motocrane. Uh, I grew up in a small town of about 1,000 people in southeastern New Mexico, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do after I got out of high school, and I ended up going into school for biology and thought that I was going to be a doctor, thought medical school was on the horizon for me. And <laughs> There's nothing were, wrong with that. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Really? Yeah, I knew the biology thing, but I didn't know, I guess, the end game is being a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I went all the way down that route, like taking the MCATs and wow. applying to schools okay. and doing interviews and stuff. But I thought, you know, I always was a tinkerer. I always used to rebuild trucks and tractors on the farm and build robots and stuff during school. So... Mm -hmm. It started to not really make sense to me as sure. much, and I ended up going back to school to do engineering just to see if I would like it, and it turned out that was really the path that excited me the most, so. It's nice to chase those dreams. Yeah. You know, where you know you're interested in something. That's cool. So I, I spent the next four and a half years getting degrees in electrical and mechanical engineering. And From what school? New Mexico State University. Okay. okay. And then after that, I still wasn't really sure where I was going to end up. Still a little bit lost in the world. And <laughs> I found a co-op opportunity with Polaris up here in Minnesota. So that's oh, nice. what brought me here originally. New so, Mexico is a little different than Minnesota. How was that adjustment? Yeah, I quickly found that out because I moved up here in, in March and it was... It was freezing. <laughs> it was worse than anything I ever experienced growing up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I started working maybe about maybe about a month. I really I liked the work I was doing there, but I was getting a little antsy, a little bored in the evenings. And, and this was 2017, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is, the, this is the year that we we founded Motocrane in January. Okay. Because essentially, the first Motocrane you designed and built. So yeah, I mean, we, we launched in January. Mm -hmm. So Justin was probably at that time, you know, looking at co-op opportunities in January, yeah. probably like making his decision. And um, Scott and I had launched the company with our first prototype and, okay. um, you know, kind of concurrently as Justin's telling that part of the story, right. we were trying to figure out how we were gonna staff up because we knew that we were at the point, and I say we being Scott and I, the co-founders, yeah. um, we were like, we're at kind of the end of what we can do technologically. Like yep. we need to bring on smarter people, people that can really refine this and take it from a prototype, you know, to a manufacturable product that we can do in a series. I'm sure project. that felt like a giant hurdle to finding yeah, people, <laughs> finding people not only interested in the engineering part, but understanding the application for cars absolutely. and stuff. Cause it's, it's a whole different world, you know, yeah. working with cars than pretty much any other subject. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool how you linked up. Yeah. And so, yeah. so March rolls around. Yeah. So I just started my co-op in March and I was working for about a month, getting a little bit antsy and bored in the evenings, wanting to try something else. So mm -hmm. by chance, I went on Craigslist one night and 
just browsing around for what was available. And wait, what section was the ad list? <laughs> listed uh, I don't think I don't think men I seeking say. smarter men. <laughs> there, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's a good category. Yeah. So I uh, sent an email. It, it was something for part-time work, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. Thought, oh, pretty much right up my alley. I'll give it a shot and. I think a day or two later, I got an email back from them, and they seemed excited about it. So we met, awesome. up, we met up for coffee, and they asked when I could start, and I said, you know, how about right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. Right. Yeah, and, you, so, and, you, and, and Justin really started us, like, in the at like the point of highest turmoil, like we were ever experiencing. Like, to your point, Josh, you know, we're like, okay, how do we finance a production run, yeah. get people in to, to do it and do it well with us. How are we going to, you know, build a, a, a product that can have, a, you know, a, a year warranty on it? Like, yep. you know, this is no longer we're working in the garage anymore. Find space to build them right. in. Um, so Justin came on pretty much right away. And I think you were still doing like your two weeks at Polaris. Yeah. And uh, it was, we were actually preparing our first unit uh, to go to NAB 2017. So we had, okay. we had paid for a booth. Yep. And we were like, all right, this is going to be a big check checkpoint. We're going to like, you know, use that as a kind of a deadline for us getting something um, up and running by that time. So Justin came in pretty much like the two weeks before NAB, I say, are like, they were, <laughs> those are the worst two weeks of my life. Like, and I, I it. it was just that the amount of stress was yeah. in, insane, but it was, it was amazing, like what we were able to achieve. We brought, excuse me, we brought a unit to NAB that, like barely function, um, but people were still really, really excited, and we were candid about it. We were like, "Hey, we're you know we just launched a few months ago. Like we're yeah. super stoked about it. There's still things yeah. that we're working on, but like of course we're dying inside. Like <laughs> right. oh sparks my God. are flying, yeah. oil is draining. Oh my yeah. God! Yeah, we we worked all through the night up until the morning. Zach and Scott left for NAB, and I think I went home at like five in the morning and slept for 24 hours straight. And <laughs> and for yeah. anyone listening, yeah. what is NAB? National Association of Broadcasters. So it's one of the largest trade shows in the world, uh, specifically the one in the States that happens, um, the Las Vegas Convention yep. Center. So yep. it's kind of like the CES specifically for the production industry. Yep. But there's exactly. people like, like Adobe is there. Pretty much anyone who builds software, um, acquisition tools, optics, cameras is at NAB. Yep. Okay. Cool. That's crazy. I mean, yep. I guess so 2017 is kind of when our path started crossing. We went out for coffee. We were introduced by That's a mutual right. friend on Facebook, and then yep. you're like, Jacob, I need a trailer. And I was like, I got an enclosed trailer for you. God, I <laughs> right? forget that and that's I, how it started. <laughs> not the greatest foot forward. But anyways, I give you this trailer. My dad calls me, he's like, where are they taking the trailer? I was like, they got to drive to Las Vegas, like from Minnesota. And I was like, yeah, it's a trailer, can't it do that? He's like, no, those wheel bearings are going to blow. So I call you the day before your trip, and like, I don't think the trailer's going to make it, but you could try. <laughs> yeah, and That's we're already like, you know, like Jacob calls me, like, and I haven't slept for 24 hours, and I'm like, <laughs> the last thing I need to do right now is go to U-Haul and, like, get right, a trailer. Find a trailer. Yeah. So wow. you guys take off, and you're like, I'm just going to leave the trailer on the street and unlock it, because I was like, yeah, I'm going to come. I show up, and the trailer was just not there. I call Zach, and he's like, what's up, man? He's like, hey, did you move the trailer by chance? He's like, no, didn't you go get it? And I was like. No. And that and means it was stolen. That was stolen. And it was stolen. I was at your other place. Stolen. Northeast Minneapolis. Just, yep. wow. just yep. gone. But yep. It's kind of crazy. Oh. All right. So moving on, um, after NAB, after that first prototype, where did the development lead that led to the classic? Yep. Yeah. So uh, NAB was really like in the middle of development of, of Motocrane Classic. And it was, you know, I think 
for Justin and our engineering team, um, a big challenge to take what was really, you know, we, we can say confidently now, like a shitty prototype and then really <laughs> layering in like real industry standard yeah. and best practice to make it what it needed to be. And so on the way back from NAB, Scott and I are having a really hard conversation about like, all right, man, like we need to get serious about cutting features and like really clarifying what this product needs yeah. to do because yeah. we have to deliver, you know? Um, so we came and back. And you were already and, taking pre-orders. Yeah, 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 absolutely. People are reserved for the product. And um, so we just had to get really, really clear about um, the path forward. And uh, for the next like three or four months, um, Justin and the, the rest of our team, uh, Wilson, who's a mechanical engineer, um, Jan, our electrical engineer, and some other people that were in production, mm -hmm. um, we just hustled for uh, you know, four or five months, and uh, we ended up shipping our first units in. Um, I'm trying to think. It was early October. Okay. Yeah, we basically we basically came in from scratch and redesigned the entire electrical right. system <laughs> and had a mountain of work ahead of us because it was basically retrofitting a system that was already a prototype with new electronics that actually functioned. Yeah, don't you love that? You've got your, your boss man who designed something. He's like, we're going to show this to the world. We've got to figure out how to fulfill these orders. And he comes home, we have to start over. Yeah. Some of those things you cut, I remember you designed your own three-axis gimbal mm -hmm. to yep. operate with the Motocrank that's Classic. Right. Yep. That was one thing you ended up cutting. Will yep. that ever come back? Or are you happy you cut that? Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's been that's been like a really... that It is kind of an interesting story of development kind of within Moto Crane was yeah. um, at the time when we launched January 2017 we were still in kind of the rapidly evolving world of um, stabilized heads um, mm -hmm. gimbals as right. they're called so um, what was beautiful was um, when we showed up to NAB 2017 um, DJI announced the Ronin 2 mm -hmm. uh -huh. and so that for us was a sign of the times that finally companies were catching on that um, there needed to be a, a, a gimbal that could do high speed work mm -hmm. at a reasonable price point. Because Freefly was really the only one that people were using at the time and That's it was right. kind of vastly more expensive. And did, yeah. they, did they have the XL by then or was it still the movie? So they actually were announcing the XL at the show, which which for us and our technology at the time was kind of too big, too heavy. Right. Um, we would later, you know, a year later start building Ultra, which would then be squarely kind of suited for, for the movie XL. Yep. Uh, but, the, but the big thing is like for those that are in production, you know if you try to use like a, kind of a handheld stabilizer in a windy environment, the motors have to have suitable torque Correct. and power to be able to overcome that wind resistance. Yeah. So the Ronin 2 is very squarely built to do that and that's really like was the the key distinction between other stabilized heads at the time um, and what we were building because we were building our own integrated uh, three-axis head right. and kind of the the whole dif differentiating factor was that it had really big motors and so you know you have entire companies that are that are founded you know with a lot of money creating stabilized heads right. and we were like all right we're gonna make this thing and uh, it just had lots of issues. Lots yeah. of issues. It just it was a it was a half baked thing, and um, we you know we we shipped them to customers, and you were able to get like pretty good results out of it, but it just took a lot of really expert yeah. level knowledge to get there. And so we basically said that when like the Ronin two came out, we were like, okay, we're done. This yeah. is a sign yeah. of the times. This is not a no more like. death spin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would have issues where customers would like accidentally unplug like a wire, and yeah. the IMU would just get and it would just start spinning, and like they're in the uh, middle of a shoot, and we're DJs, like, oh my god. DJIs have had that. A few oh yeah, times yeah. on our shoots, like a yeah. helicopter just wants yeah. to fly yeah. away. Exactly. Kind of like, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> grab it and oh, stop it. Your fingers in there. Yeah, and it's not like there's just you know a little payload inside. Like you have like fifty, sixty thousand dollar camera rigs that you're like looking at just spinning at like fifty RPM. You're like, this is this is terrible. So Super we were really we were really happy to um, 
and that was one of the, I think the hard conversations we had to have was focusing our technology and what is really our unique value to the marketplace. And it yeah. was remote arms. And yeah. so we were able to, with other companies filling the space of, of uh, stabilized heads, we're like, great, we can yeah. now really focus on our unique value proposition. Right. And yep. to touch more in detail on like the market space that you guys are trying to fill, mm -hmm. after the launch of Motocrank Classic, assuming it was well received because you're at where you are now, mm -hmm. um, what critiques did you get first? And then within the Classic, what did you change to kind of expand that before Alter came? Yeah. Um, we, we as, as a company are super, super connected with all, like with our customers. You know, it's one, it's a niche market, um, but but I, I'm i pretty high touch with every single person that buys products from us. Like mm -hmm. I, they, they usually have my cell phone number, um, first name basis. I pretty much know where every single one of our units is yeah. in the world. So, so that being said, when Classic went out, a lot of those relationships were getting started. And so we were in, you know, uh, very regular, frequent communication with the customers using our products. And they were regularly reporting like, hey, I'd really like this. I'd really yeah. like, you know, it's faster, longer, stronger. Getting all these fat, yeah, accurate feedback yep. immediately is awesome. And so we maybe six months into um, classics being out in the world, you know, it was pretty clear that that Motocrank Classic wasn't going to be the chassis that we could really continue to innovate on. We knew that we had to kind of create something else. Yeah. Um, and that's where that's where Ultra kind of got its name. Originally, it was going to be called Motocrane 2. And um, we kind of took all of our customers, uh, which I think there was like 25 Motocrane Classics in the world. And we just said, let's gather all these guys together and let's just do right by them. Let's make yep. sure that we build the system that's their dream what were the like? What were the main things you learned mm -hmm. and then corrected for ultra off a of classic arm length and payload is the biggest one okay. um arm length is it's kind of a, it's a control that we don't have because you have to assume the average size of a vehicle right so you right. think about mid to full size suv how long does the arm need to be in order to be fully featured and capable you know being able to do 360s around the car mm -hmm. while being low to the ground right every director in a commercial wants the low three-quarter shot of the wheels yep so if you can't get the arm low at certain points of the vehicle or around the 360 around the vehicle, that's an issue. So that was one that customers were like, we need this thing to be longer so that we can have more range of motion and more vantage points we can shoot from. Mm -hmm. And then uh, payload capacity was the other big one, just making sure that um, larger lens uh, larger lenses, larger camera packs. So customers were having the problem of it not performing with, they are trying to put heavier camera rigs, camera kits on there, or what was It the... was really just, um, we had a 33 pound payload limit. Okay. Um, and we were like, oh, that Which, should be good. It's pretty small. Yep, and uh, and then so when you think about heads like the Movi XL, yep. the Movi XL dry with nothing in it weighs 28 pounds. Right. So before you even start adding yeah. camera payload and everything like, um, just, you know, the Mobi XL is a fantastic piece of equipment that right. we want our customers to be able to use. So it's like, we just got to rethink this. As mm -hmm. far as manufacturing goes, mm -hmm. um, what percentage or whatever of, of classic, let's start with that, mm -hmm. uh, was built here by you guys or a local distributor? Mm -hmm. You know, who, where are the parts coming from? Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the actual build of the classic. Everything, um, I mean, every unit that we make, every part that goes together is done here in Minneapolis. But we have vendors all over the world. Um, we have vendors in China, we have vendors in India, we have local vendors, um, vendors in California. So it's like, because there's so many different parts, like our, our motors come from, um, 
about 30 minutes west of Minneapolis um, from a company called Midwest Motion Products, and they make amazing brushless motors. And even for Motocrane Classic, um, we had brushed motors in that unit, but um, um, MMP, as we call them, they were our supplier for, for those. So um, really important products, or I should say really important components like that, like a motor, we spend a lot of time dating with different suppliers and making sure mm. that whatever we get is is the best. Right, because right. obviously the the level of of uh, I mean, what's the word I'm looking at here? Just fin quality. Fin finish quality, yeah. Yeah. everything. It looks. I mean, it's basically what I would describe as like the iPhone of mm -hmm. rig cars. You get up yep. close to it, and it looks beautiful. You know, every weld is it's beautiful. It's very simple. Is it anodized or what's? Is yeah, it painted? booms. Booms are powder coated, and then all of the and that's because of the alloy of the booms yep. and the fact that it's welded. But all the um, every other like machine part is all. I mean, it anodized. just it, yep. the fit and finish is, is you know just yep. phenomenal. Was the closer you get, and um, I'm sure underneath and under the skin and in the motors and stuff, it's the same level of of fit and finish and quality and yep. yeah um, really a lot of that stuff that you see now the polished product that you see that we're making is a result of all of the learnings that we had through motocrane classic because we really went through a mountain of learnings and that right. product we we ordered uh, 25 units all at once and tried to build them all in a huge right. batch and <laughs> any problem is basically at that point multiplied by 25. So right. you've got to spend an hour retooling some holes. You've got to spend right. 25 hours on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely companies out there producing equipment that's you know not held to the same standards that we've that I've witnessed on your stuff. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool to see that level of detail and attention to detail put in your product and I think that shows um, really how much you guys take this seriously. Yeah. Um, it's great to see that. Mm -hmm. So that classic is done now. You're mm -hmm. not selling that anymore. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ultra was the successor to classic. So um, for, for every one of our customers that had a classic, uh, we basically went back to them and said, hey, we're basically going to give you Ultra at cost. Mm -hmm. So we said. Um, what year did Ultra hit the market? We announced it in 2018. Um, and then we shipped our first ones in October of 2018. Okay. So roughly one year after yep. Classic was announced, yep. you guys yep. were announcing the next version. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so looking back, the Classic and then the people you compared about, you and I had a lot of con uh, conversations about other Russian arm. Mm -hmm. And there's like these three axis or three pivot point ones that kind of operate mm -hmm. more like a crane. Yeah. And the, yep. you, I mean, you know your research, you know your yep. market. What changes did you make from Classic, aside from what's obvious, to mm -hmm. Ultra to then be better than all those people that you were right up against? Yeah. Um, I think that the, the luxury that we had when we were designing Ultra is that we had a perfect beta group of customers to guide us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't matter what I think an arm needs to do, it matters what our customers think. Yeah. So the fact that we had that group that was like very, very willing and happy to participate in design conversations with us um, kind of guaranteed our success because we could pre-qualify ideas against a group of people that mm -hmm. were, were really, really excited about it. So right. other, you know, other companies have entered the space and it's, um, you know, I give kudos to anyone who tries to make something in the space because it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, but they've been largely unsuccessful. Um, and they and all it, seem to be trying something very different than what you're doing. Yeah. Um, one of the things in terms of understanding what does accessible mean? Yeah. Um, we could easily, within our market, we could take Motocrane Ultra, um, and I can say this confidently, we could charge twice as much for it. 
Yep. But we know that we'd be isolating a really, really large group of people. And that's just count. That's, that's against our mission. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not in line with what we're trying to do and what we're trying to represent, which is really democratizing, uh, this technology, mm -hmm. make it available to people. So yeah. we design our ideas with very, you know, with pr pr pretty tight constraints with respect to cost to make sure that we can still, you know, uh, produce a certain product or produce a certain solution uh, to a production need within the budgets that we know our customers are working for. Yeah. It's like, hey, if someone asks me for uh, an Audi S4 and I bring them a Gallardo, it's like, you didn't. that's great, the Gallardo's awesome, but you know that I can't have that. So like, right, why, did, right. why are you showing that to me? Yep. So I think that's where uh, some of our competitors or some other people that have come into the space have failed is they just um, haven't really done it with respect to the, to the people that they know um, are going to be using the product. Yeah. Justin, um, now that we're talking about Ultra, walk us through some of the major technological changes, advances, whatever you notice. I mean, you yep. obviously had a big part of that. Yeah. Uh, so walk us through some of the things that you, you worked on. Yeah, basically, by the time that we realized the shortfalls with Classic, we started to realize that we had to basically start from scratch and redesign the whole system from the ground up. So a lot of that was accommodating the longer arm length, the, the bigger payload. And it came down to a lot of simulation and structural analysis. And we ultimately arrived at some pretty cool designs for the boom, some welded structure that everyone is just always amazed at how light it is when they pick it up. Yeah. But it can, yeah, it can hold 55 pounds on the end, no problem. So I think that was one of the biggest advancements at first was getting rid of the old boom design and going to something welded, modular, easy to put together. Was it a matter of just enlarging things with you know, stronger boom, stronger motors, or what, was, what else was being done there? Yeah, that's definitely part of it, but another part of it is, is really looking at the strength to weight ratio of, of a certain design. And we got lucky that we also have an aerospace engineer on our team, wow. Wilson, and he's uh, really grown to be a great simulator and working on you know, figuring out what's the optimum use of material, the best strength to weight ratio. So a lot of that knowledge and a lot of that technology went into what you see with Ultra. Wow. So that's something we're all pretty proud of is the progression of the structure. And then separate from that, we also really dove deep into circuit board design and everything in Motocrane Ultra is custom from us. So we design all the circuits in-house and that's kind of a contrast to what we did with Motocrane Classic because a lot of that stuff is off-the-shelf motor drivers and just more of an integration of off-the-shelf components. But right. yeah, what we're doing now is really diving deep into the technical aspects of circuit board design, optimizing power consumption, and really getting custom control solutions that work for our specific product. Mm -hmm. Right, and obviously um, you can't have Motocrane without the remote control and, and the right. controllers inside the vehicle. How, I mean, everything is custom done. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, you're, I was talking to you earlier, it's you're designing the interface of that remote yeah. and everything below the surface for, I mean, the joysticks for the controllers that lead up to the motherboard thing that control the yeah. motors on the top. I mean, it's, it's immensely complex. Um, Walk us yep. through that a little bit. I mean, feel free to get. Yeah. Technical. Okay. How many episodes do you want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Just give us a, a brief look into some of the things you face. Yeah, in a way that was kind of liberating, moving away from off-the-shelf components and 
being able to customize literally everything in the system. We were able to design our own communications interface. We moved to a way more robust communication protocol. Um, Motocrane Classic was all analog control, so okay. it's really kind of a, if you, if you could say that, it's kind of a dumb way of controlling things okay. because mm -hmm. it's just a voltage and, and for better or worse, it can have problems or it can be really robust, but we decided to go to what's used in the automotive industry, which is CAN bus, and it's a digital communications protocol that's really robust. Okay. So Ultra really started electronically on that framework, which allowed us to design a lot of custom messaging and protocols and figure out the data rate for everything. So that was a, a fun period of development that ultimately, ultimately came to I think what we consider the most robust solution in the industry. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's impressive. I mean, seeing um, the you know the depth that you guys have gone into to make make the interface um, like a, we were walking through just a little bit of is I mean, not only you're controlling it, but you're able to set parameters. You're able to set these tolerances. You're able to do all these things in there that is, you know, makes life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, a lot of those things were they on the first one too, or I mean, where did the 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 evolution progress from um, the first remote to where you guys are now? Yeah, I would say really one of the defining differences between Classic and Ultra is the touchscreen display that the user has access to. Mm -hmm. So, the original on Motocrane Classic, we had a Bluetooth app, and it would allow the user to see bits and pieces of the system and change a few settings, but it was very very limited and not as robust as we would have liked. And we started the development with the idea that the customer is gonna have full view into what's happening in the system with diagnostics pages, being able to set up limits and easily adjust user controls. So okay. I would say the user interface was a huge leap for us and it's really what has catapulted a lot of our success with, with users. Mm -hmm. Cool, mm -hmm. have you guys ever put Motocrane in a wind tunnel? No. <laughs> no. Virtually, We've though. gone very fast, but we have not, <laughs> well, we have not done real flow. I flow. just like, I find it interesting. Yeah. Obviously, you guys are building a, uh, a, a crane that can be used like at full sideways. You yeah. Know, when it's fully yeah. 90 degrees out, yeah. um, if you've got a chase car right up on the side, yeah. you need to get that shot. Um, obviously, then, you've got the big tail that's facing. Yeah. I was just curious to see like what would happen in a wind tunnel, but obviously, it works. Wilson was here to speak yeah. to this. We get a lot of questions <laughs> about that. People yeah. are really... A lot of people ask about why we have this big fin on the back and what it's for. And yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, it just comes down to aerodynamics because there's a certain amount of drag that the gimbal and the camera has, and those are stretched out 12 feet away from the center point. So the backside, the tail, is not that long, so we have to basically expand that surface area to balance it out. And there's a few different aerodynamic effects that happen at high speeds. So one of them is when you're spinning a 360 going above 60 or 70 miles an hour, you start to see a lot of forces building up along the center axis of the vehicle, so the direction forward and backwards. And it's kind of like a weather vane. You know how a weather vane always right. points in a certain direction in the wind? It starts to build up these aerodynamic forces because of this big flat fin on the backside. So when it's fully at 90 degrees out sideways over the car, that big tail, you know, you're still able to get yeah. perfect footage. So basically, if you were to have the axis free and be able to rotate 
we try to balance the drag from the camera and the gimbal with okay. that fin. So ideally, when you're at 90 degrees out to the side, there's really no force one way or the other to move and the fin. And is it the shape of it that you've perfected over time that helped with that aerodynamic, even when it's sideways to the wind? Yeah, exactly. It's the shape, and more than anything, it's the size of the whole thing, the okay. surface area. We have a lot of really cool flow simulations in software to try to perfect that and get an optimized size for all 360 degrees of rotation. So there's software that can do calculations for yeah, you. Yeah, so it's kind of just short of being able to actually take it to a wind tunnel. Yeah. That's what right. I was gonna say, is like we, we don't uh, necessarily take the physical unit into a, into a, um, a wind tunnel, but Wilson, uh, as uh, Justin mentioned, our aerospace engineer, um, does flow simulations in uh, in CAD or computer-aided design. So we can kind of theoretically put the system into a wind tunnel. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we wait until it's one in the morning, we go to Wisconsin and we go 100 miles an hour and just see how things go. And, and uh, uh, we'll have Justin and Jan in the back logging all of the uh, the motor characteristics and current draw. And then what we do is we just basically do con you know continuous 360 swings um, while we're increasing the vehicle speed and we're actually measuring imbalance. So we can see if motor current <laughs> starts to get high on one side or lower, you're literally watching how hard the motor is working yeah. to, um, to counteract any uh, aerodynamic imbalance. And then we, okay, we say, okay, great, well, that was over here, so that means that we need to add more. Or, yeah. So it's kind of like you know, completely based on, and that's why uh, if you ever see our customers with Ultra, um, we actually have a fairing extension because the Mobi XL is physically larger, so it's not about yeah. payload because it's physically larger and there's more um, surface area on that head. It has more drag, so we actually include an extension that increases um, the drag on the fairing to counter that. Hmm. So um, you're kind of balancing whether you're using like a Ronin 2, which yep. is what the stock fairing is built for, um, versus something like a Mobi XL, which is just physically large. Yeah. And another option, something that we could have done is just put a huge motor in there and then, and then it wouldn't matter at all. The motor would just power through it no matter but, what. But I mean, you yeah. increase the size of the motor and are, are you going to then limit the, the vehicles you could put this thing on or would that increase weight and everything beyond? Uh, no, it's, it's something imp impractical really, but it's just some way to approach the design. Sure. But, mm -hmm. but our, You're just our, saying overpower the wind is yeah. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. But in order to optimize it like that, we're really taking into account the overall weight of the system, how much current we want to use, and what power mm. options are available. So that's kind of an important reason why we do all that stuff, sure. just to try to minimize power consumption. Yeah. Well, I think the, um, moving on to like a slightly different mm -hmm. concept here sure. uh, or question, you guys designed Ultra to be mobile, right? You designed it to be able to be put packed down into bags and put on an airplane and carry it anywhere you want in the world. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when we first launched Ultra, that was uh, for there were there were a lot of people in the world that were were looking at us as a company that were kind of waiting for Ultra to happen. I don't think they could really quantify that for themselves, but they were kind of waiting to see Ultra get launched. And when it did happen, we got a lot of interest and uh, you know a lot of new customers. Um, when it came time to start shipping Ultras six months later. Um, we spent a lot of time, and this is kind of where uh, Jake and I started doing some work together, was flying around and demonstrating the capabilities 
to customers. And so that was a, a pretty amazing thing for, if you can imagine, um, having a, you know, having an ultra reserved and right. having us as a company show up to a shoot that you've organized. And, uh, again, we, we just flew in on an airplane and we're going to put it on your rental car and yeah. go shoot your Mercedes commercial and then fly home the next day. Yeah. But in some of that cases, it wasn't a rental car. It was Larry Chen's. <laughs> yeah. You went with him. His tell tell us that story a little bit. Well, how that came to be. Well, in 2018, mm -hmm. you built yourself the first unit, which yep. was maybe ultra zero, yep. zero, yep. zero. Unit zero. Yeah, yep. unit zero. Yeah. Um, and essentially, you're like, I've got an idea, Jake. We have current clients creating content about classic, but we need to now create content about ultra. Mm -hmm. Come with me and let's set up ultra, demonstrate it to existing clients, and then also capture what they're doing with it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was cool when we showed up to some of the other projects, you actually let the production house use the new arm, mm -hmm. right? We showed up, we set it up, and show them the differences or whatever, and then we just let them go off play Extreme Jibs, I think, on a music video. Yep, yep. And we put it on his Toyota Tundra, which is a huge pickup truck. Yep. Um, but in 20, late 2018, for SEMA, yep. right, November, yep. we yep. went to the Hoonigan Burnyard, because Larry Chen had reached out to you and said, hey, in I'm, Los Angeles, in Los yeah. Angeles, mm -hmm. I've been invited by Toyota to get a Corolla and build it whatever I want for their Toyota booth, mm -hmm. and I'm a camera guy, so let's make the ultimate camera car, and so mm -hmm. we flew out and stuck it on the top of this I wouldn't Corolla. call a Corolla an ultimate <laughs> camera car, but that's just a matter of an opinion. <laughs> yeah, but when, when the Toyota press release company yeah. reaches out to you, like, here's a car, do what you want. A free Corolla, that's different. <laughs> I heard it got squished afterwards, but you know. We, yeah. uh, we put this thing on the Corolla, and it looked legit, but the Corolla roof was like a little tin can. And there's other aspects to this that I'm sure you make your customers aware of is the weight of the Ultra. Mm -hmm. Well, we can talk about applications. Is, tell, tell us a little bit more about the story. That we'll, I want to talk about applications. Next. We'll talk about applications later. Yeah. Anyways, we put it on the roof of this Corolla, and it looked fine from about 10 feet away. It <laughs> operated fine. We went and did a bunch of test stuff, and I think they were blown away with it. Mm -hmm. And then it sat in the SEMA booth, and we were there for five days, just going up, down, round, and round. And mm -hmm. people kind of came and gawked and took pictures of it. And yeah, was, I mean, that was about it. Yeah, that was a really cool experience. And I, you know, um, after we had launched, we, uh, as a company, we're trying to figure out what are going to be like the, you know, the, the specific ways that we demonstrate all the unique characteristics, right, of, yeah. of uh, the portability, like you said, Josh, and um, just the capabilities of the product that you can use, you know, the Mobi XL, and like, how do we wrap all this up into, mm -hmm. a, into a really cool project? And that's one of the cool things that we get to do as a company is because we make these tools, we uh, have access to a lot of really cool projects and a lot of really cool people that are um, creating awesome content. So I yeah. reached out to Ron Zaras, who's the marketing director at Hoonigan, yep. and just said, hey, Ron, I just want to be on your radar. You know, my name's Zach. This is what we do. This is Motocrane. <laughs> yeah. if, you have, if you have any ideas, you know, I know you're the guy, so just reach out. And yep. about a month later, he was like, I think I got something. I so we should do something. And that's how the whole Larry Chen thing started, was he was like, we're doing a project with Larry Chen to build a SEMA car. That's it's right. going to be a camera car. That's and right. I was like, this is right up our alley. So, um, you know, we spent a, you know, a few months just kind of talking about the logistics of the project, but ultimately just, you know, came down to Jake and I flying out with the <laughs> unit. We built in a few hours, and the next day we were out in some semi lot doing <laughs> drifting, drifting yeah. with Ryan literal in you know his twin turbo Z yep 
and uh, scaring the shit out of me. But it was it was amazing. It was like <laughs> I was like this is this is putting it through the ringer. You, you and know? I were in the car after that, and you're like, I have no idea what the limit is here. Like we're just <laughs> we're just gonna send it. In. Well, I don't if think Kunigan really has a limit. It's yeah. gonna fall off. Yeah. they're usually used to breaking limits. Yeah. that they're yeah. known for. Yeah, it was so. a little bit heavier than our rated payload too. Yep. for yeah. temporary. Yeah, what mounting. was what was the camera package? It was a Movi XL. Yep, Canon 17 to 120, which is huge. Zoom. Yep, yep. It's, it's thankfully that lens is a little bit lighter than it looks, but I think it was about 60 pounds. Yeah. And so we just, you know, it was like, okay, great. It's like, you know, this is fantastic, real practical testing. Yep. So yeah, that was good. And for any of you listeners, we actually are recording this podcast on video. And so whatever we're talking about today is on our YouTube channel. And you can watch the B-roll from projects that we talk about and the stuff that Motocrane is explaining. So moving on a little bit again, uh, applications. We're talking about Larry Chen's tin can Corolla. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that, was a, press, that was a press car. There was something but wrong I'm with saying, the roof. You guys have designed this product to be essentially able to be put on almost any vehicle. And you're talking trucks, cars, yep. sedans, all the way to 4 by 4 side-by-sides. Boats. Boats. Yep. I do want to see it on a boat. Have you yeah. have images yeah. of that or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'm sure you'll post it right now. Right in the now. video. Now. Right now. Yeah. No, I have not yeah. seen that. I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen black arms on boats, mm -hmm. even from like a wakeboard boom. But oh, and this no. is this Motocrane is next level. Boat. So yeah. um, people. Call I mean, it does this? Does, do that, oh. I mean, does any buyer of this have to completely adapt a vehicle to have things welded on top, or is it more or less a construction cup? It. What's the yeah, story? Yeah, it's, it's totally dealer's choice, and that's like when you start looking at just the physics equation. And Justin can speak to this more, but like. One of the reasons why it's lightweight is because it just literally has to be. If you're building a universal remote arm, you can't have the luxury of 600 pounds of structure. Right. Um, it's like that you can't fly with that. So there's a lot of things, like it's all kind of incestuous, these variables, and it all starts with efficient lightweight design, and that creates a lot of opportunities to have a system be as universal as Ultra is. So we sell um, um, an accessory called the SSG, which is a, uh, the suction speed rail grid kit. And yep. this is kind of like the essentials for universal rigging. And uh, we have customers who do more invasive, you know, if, if we have a customer who um, their sole offering as a business is tracking vehicle services, um, they don't really have any issues um, cutting up a roof and creating hard mounting points because yep. that's that's their business, right? Like Correct, yeah. for them, it's like yeah. having a work truck. Yep. So uh, like the, like the Porsche Cayennes and the Panameras, where they're like dedicated, everything's spray painted black for no reflectivity, and mm -hmm. they're like basically not even road legal anymore. Mm -hmm. You could do that with this, absolutely. But yep. you can also keep it where it's a legal vehicle mm -hmm. and keep yep. it suction cups where it's not permanent mounting points. Yep. Um, what is What's the preferred method? Mm -hmm. Like, what, if you guys were going to do it yourself, what is the preferred? You'd hard mount it. Hard, hard mounting, just because it eliminates variables. It's, okay. a, it's always going to be like, as a, you know, if you're building a structure, you know, to not have things like, you know, uh, the flex of a rubber cup or straps. Yep. Um, it's always better to hard mount. Better being more structurally sound. But again, like one of the one of the doors that we always wanted to keep open for customers was what we demonstrated, which is we're going to show up you know, fresh off of an airplane with this thing in tow right. and set it up on your Mini Cooper and right. go shoot a car commercial. So like, I'd love to see that. That's, I, I like yeah. Mini, so. Yeah, then like that's always possible. So, and it doesn't take any kind of like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to like permanently modify the system in order to integrate it in a permanent or semi-permanent okay. way. The, the what's rigging what's the funkiest car you guys have ever seen your customers put it on? Oh, like what's the most, at least memorable? Something like just crazy. 
Um, the Lamborghini. Lamborghini, for sure. Real because bros in that, Arizona. The Murcielago. Murcielago, yeah. Yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw that come out, I was like, dang it. Oh, my <laughs> God. I wanted, to, me do to, the I wanted yeah. to do that. Yeah, that yeah. for sure. I mean, those, like, Real Bros is a great example of, like, why I founded this company. Yes. Because you have these young guys who are hustlers who make great content. They're all super talented. Yeah. Um, and... They're, they love cars. Like I think um, one drives like a slammed all road. The other has like a BMW, but um, yep. you know, they're, they're guys who they're, they're really talented and who's to say that a group of, you know, young aspiring professionals can't handle a tool like this. And so I've really enjoyed seeing them grow with their investment in ultra yep. and the ecosystem yeah. and the cool things they've done. And they shoot for Peterbilt and they put it on a Lambo Murcielago. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking to what you have said about your company is it's Motocrane really is a no BS company. It's like, let's get out, get it done and then move on and improve and become better. Yep. And the other thing I've heard you say is just any car, any roof. Yep. As long as it's your SSG unit. You can sure. attach it to anything. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you guys aren't the only ones in the marketplace. So, yep. um, and we don't don't you don't need to name anyone. But sure. like, what do you think the big selling points are for you guys compared to some of your competitors? And maybe mm -hmm. you can talk to some technology too on this. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys have seen it all, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So, what what are some of the differences that I think is a selling point for you guys? Well, I think one of the big attractions is the simplicity because people see it from a distance and generally have the impression that, oh man, that must be tough to set up, it must be complicated, mm -hmm. and then they take a few minutes to get to know it and realize, I mean, two guys can set up the whole thing in about 15 minutes, it's easy to pack and unload and travel with, and then also it's super simple to operate, just the two joysticks and it becomes really intuitive okay. to anyone. And a lot of the competitors don't break down into sections like yours do, and they don't pack for an airplane. Well, correct? yeah, I mean, I would say ours is the most portable in the industry okay. and the easiest to take take down and set up. It's right. Because we see a lot of people, you know, with rig car companies out there, they're, they're having to ship their dedicated rig car vehicle across country if they have to. Yeah. For mm -hmm. Motocrane, it doesn't have to, you don't have to go through that. Yeah. You can just go to your location, set it up on oh, a rental car, car if, yeah. if you need be. Yeah. So I think that is a pretty awesome feature. And yeah. we have a lot of customers that are routinely doing that. Just yeah. Mm -hmm flying with their unit and getting a car on the spot and all over the world. Yeah. 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 And I, I would say like from, from our, from our customer's perspective, if I were to answer that question, I really think it is like accessibility and that doesn't just mean price point for the sale. It also means to the aspects that you were just speaking to, like if you have a portable universal system, it becomes cheaper to operate because you're not having to build out a camera okay. car. Um, so for, for, uh, companies that have Russian arm offerings, um, one of the things that they struggle with is all of the logistics to operate that large piece of machinery. And mm. there's, there's kind of this like, this air and people think that we would have beef with Russian arm manufacturers and right. it's not the case at all. Yeah. Um, Russian arms are amazing tools that have been around for a long time and they'll, they'll always have their place. Yep. Um, but what we do is we make a system that offers different unique advantages. Yeah. Um, and again, things like portability, the mm -hmm. ease of use. And I've talked to producers who, you know, on, on, a, on a set, a producer is the person who's figuring out all of these logistics, right? And um, producers don't really like using Russian arms, not because 
because they aren't amazing pieces of equipment, but because mm-hmm. of the logistics involved. Yeah. To Josh's point, you know, if you're, if you're trailering a vehicle for two days just to get it on set, you're paying for those two days while it's in tow. Right. And so, in some cases, those cars aren't road legal, so you have to work off of a closed set, which yep. is actually money, further money, more yep. permits, more people, more yep. complexity, yep. bigger closure. budgets. Yeah. Right. So we think about how Motocrane Classic has led you to Ultra mm-hmm. and the changes that you made and the design stuff that came with that. Mm-hmm. Um, what is next? Talk about what you have released so far as you kind of continue to push the envelope of this world mm-hmm. and then maybe where you see Motocrane in five years. Mm-hmm. I think 2019, so last year for us, was a big year of spending time and resources to like continue to push the limits of Ultra. Mm-hmm. And um, we spent a lot of time building unique power solutions, um, ways to increase payload capacity. Um, and Justin spent the better part of the year working on um, kind of a new advanced gyroscopic stabilization system for uh, the lift axis of the arm. So we were able to really spend a lot of time just thinking about how do we continue to uh, add value for our customers that are, that are using Ultra. So, mm-hmm. Because it's universal, it's used in so many different applications, and we have customers who are very, very interested in in very specific aspects of the equipment. And so, um, I think you know what where where we've spent a lot of time has been making sure that each application has some like dedicated path for continuing to build, you know, that capability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With every idea you come up with, you know that there will be more that can be built on that. Mm-hmm. Cool. And Justin, there's a lot of technology stuff that have come out from either a actual design or even electronic stuff like the INS you were talking about. Mm-hmm. What's, I guess, maybe the next thing you're thinking of or things that you have thought of that didn't actually come to production because it just wasn't worth it? Uh, we're still working on that. <laughs> we, have a, we have opportunity evaluators that will let us figure out if if an accessory is going to be good or not for, mm-hmm. a, pro- for a customer. And... Um, we spent the better part of last year doing a lot of R&D for yeah. the product and learned a lot of great stuff about stabilization, about power solutions, about optimizing the structure even further. Mm-hmm. And these are all great things that our customers are now out there enjoying and definitely going to pay dividends in the future as we yeah. continue R&D. Cool. What are some of the um, most memorable stories or notable or funny or odd or whatever customer stories or just using the motocrane yourselves? Um, Justin, I'll start with you. What's, what comes to mind? Uh, something that I quickly thought of was a quick trip I had to make to Seattle for a service issue. <laughs> service issues, although they're not fun. Zach's shaking his head. Yeah. <laughs> and they're few and far between. Sometimes we have to deal with them immediately. So one of our customers in Seattle had his unit go down on a chute, and basically um, flying out there was the fastest way to get it to him, the fastest, cheapest, most economical way to get it to him in a matter of five or six hours. So I hopped on a plane on Sunday, took a a power supply unit with me, and swapped it out that night, got them back up and running, and got back to Minneapolis the next day. That's crazy. Wow, customer service, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah I, was, I was gonna say, like, I think that that speaks to the culture that we have here, and, and it's it's not something that we speak to from like a, a braggadocious perspective, but it's like, we're just very, very close with our customers. Mm-hmm. And like, when, when we have someone go down in the field, like, operations here stop. 
Like we we literally devote all of our resources to getting that customer back up and running. Yeah. Whether it's someone accidentally ran the arm into a wall or like whatever it is, it's like we stop <laughs> their problems as a company are your problems until they're yeah. back up. And and yeah. I've I've had to make you know trips like that, like like Justin just said. And I had a customer on Saturday morning call me. They were on a shoot for Mazda the next day, and uh, they had a power supply issue. And mm came in here at 11 in the morning and FaceTime with them and got them back up and running. And nice. that was it. So I think our customers feel that level of, I think, care from us. And again, it's not from a place of, you know, our customer service is the best, but it's mm-hmm. backed up by a real relationship, right. you know? Right. So okay. Zach, cool. how about you? What's a, what's a notable story that you remember? Um, God, it's a great, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I or, think, or even like a, a just a proud moment. You know, yeah, you saw. I think. Yeah, that's I, that's I think what I have is like um, we we had a customer um, who was doing some work for Mercedes. They were producing all of their new running footage packages um, for 2019 model year, and we were out, and it was again a very very early shoot. It might have been the shoot right after uh, we did uh, DJ Khaled and yeah. J Lo and stuff, and. Um, I was out on the shoot, and again, it was another, we, we showed up, we built it on their Porsche Cayenne. Um, I wasn't actually with our customer for the first day because they were out shooting on set. The, the camera car just needed to be ready on the second day. Yep. And uh, they had some pretty aggressive shots that were on their list for the next day. It was in a quarry, it was off-road, chasing a G-Wagon. I was just gonna ask for the, yeah, what was the subject matter? Um, and so yeah, it was basically chasing a G55 through a rock quarry um, with a Porsche Cayenne and a Mobi XL. So this is a big payload, yep. off-road. This is a temporary mounted system, so there's no invasive measures to mount it to the vehicle. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the odds are stacked against us, right? It's kind of the, the, kind of the worst scenario. Yep. Um, but what ended up happening, and this is uh, kind of speaks to the great work that Justin has done with ingress protection and making sure that the system is robust even in, in adverse elements, um, the gimbal actually broke. Oh, it um, was raining that day, wasn't it? Was it was raining. It was muddy. It was a, it was a nightmare for, for <laughs> equipment. I mean, they were having to bring vehicles in and for um, – on car commercials, um, on those shoots, they have mobile car washes. So they have yep. detailers that are there. Every time the vehicle comes back from a run, it gets a full exterior detail yeah. before it goes back out for the next shot. Um, so cars are coming back in, and in the middle of all of that, um, the gimbal ended up uh, going down. And it was cool for us as a kind of the new manufacturer with seemingly bringing all of this production together. Yeah. Everyone was kind of concerned about us, right? Like, shit, right. is this new arm going to, you know, shit out on us and we're going to be SOL <laughs> and Mercedes is here and like, yep. um, but no, our arm ran exquisitely throughout the whole shoot. And so That's like awesome. at the end of that, you know, shaking our customer's hand who was about to take delivery of their unit, he's like, I couldn't be happier about yeah. about this acquisition. So, like, you're like, yeah. thank so you So just a proud moment. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was cool. super, it was proud. It was like, this is a, a great customer. He does amazing work for Mercedes, yeah. challenging terrain, challenging application, and um, kind of all of our hard work as a design and engineering team kind of paying off in cool. kind of one, one moment. Cool, well, what you've been listening to is uh, Zach and Justin here at Moto Crane. Uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They definitely are one of the top um, crane manufacturers for um, people like you and me. I mean, any, any kind of consumer that's um, yeah. in, the, in the production world. And I, we're, it's been a pleasure to listen to you guys chat about the technology and where you guys have started. Yep. Um, and we definitely wish you guys the best and hope to see continuations on your technology and progression into the future. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Thank you. Thanks for having us.